Welcome to episode 50 of season 2 of the Search with Candor podcast. I am one of your hosts for this week and my name is Jack Chambers Ward on my 50th episode of the show, which is very exciting. And I'm joined once again by my co-host, Mr. Mark Williams-Cook. Last show of the year, high five. Yay, it came up on the mics. Excellent. (laughs) Listeners, enjoy that high five. (laughs) Excellent podcast quality high five there from the Candor boys. (laughs) and since it's the last episode of the year we'll be basically doing a little recap talking about some highlights some lowlights some bits and pieces from the year that has been 2022 and getting into some some spicy predictions for 2023 maybe there'll be some some more obvious stuff i think i've got one that's fairly spicy i think you've got a couple of ideas that are fairly spicy mark we'll run through 2022 in the first half and then the second half we'll be talking about 2023 and kind of what you can expect from much search stuff going on in the next year. Why is it spicy? (laughs) (laughs) But before we get to talking about 2022 and all the highlights and lowlights thereupon, throughout 2022, we have been supported by the wonderful people over at Systrix. They are known as the SEO's toolbox, and you can go to systrix.com slash SWC if you want to check out some of their fantastic free tools, such as their SERP snippet generator, href lang validator, if you want to check out your site's visibility index, and of course, something we'll be touching on in a moment, the Google Update Radar. You can, of course, get things like Trend Watch, Sector Watch, and Index Watch all through, and you can go to systrix.com slash trends to find all of those. Trend Watch, we will be talking about later on in the show. We have a recap of the trends of 2022, which I'm very excited to dive into. And we've touched on it a couple of times over the last few weeks. Systrix will be continued to sponsor the show in 2023. Thank Yay. you very much, Systrix. Thank you, Systrix. And we'll be working with them quite quite a lot more, actually, working pretty closely with them, starting to do some new live streams and working with them on some video content as well. So stay tuned for all of that coming in the new year. So I mentioned the Google Update Radar there, Mark. Yes, there's been a couple of updates. Have, haven't year. there just? Haven't there just? Let's do a quick little whip through of every single officially confirmed Google system update in 2022. I'll take a deep breath because there's a lot. <laughs> so starting in February, we had the page experience update coming over to desktop. In March, we had the March 2022 product reviews update. Then in May, we had a core update, which was then completed sort of first week of June, so kind of May and June-ish. July, we had another product review update. In August, we had a helpful content update, the helpful content update, but now we learn it is one of many. The September core update followed up in September. Then we had the next product reviews update in September. Then we also have the October spam update, the December helpful content update, and most recently, which we haven't even had a chance to really talk about on the show, the link spam update in December, aka spam brain that has been introduced and updated as part of the Google system updates. Oh, it's a not lot, right? the rankings you get, it's the updates you make along the way. <laughs> the, the system updates you make along the way. Remember this? You yes, can't, can't I, say I update. Picked, actually, I was going to congratulate you just <laughs> a second ago when uh, I realized you've slipped into that new 
nomenclature very, very skillfully. System updates. Ranking system updates. Getting into the habit of that. But yeah, that is by my count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. At least ten confirmed Google updates throughout 2022. And there were those real moments where they were kind of clustered together. September there I really touched upon because we got a lot of stuff going on at once. August, end of August kind of time was the first helpful Compton update, then followed up a couple of weeks later with the core update, and then the product review update a couple of weeks after that. And what we understand from Google, and I think something I kind of want to touch on as something I think was a bit overhyped in 2022, was the helpful content update stuff at first. I think this is kind of been clarified from Google since then, and a lot of us who are paying attention to this kind of stuff, and a lot of people who pay much closer attention and know the data far better than I do, are saying things like, this is a long-term thing. Google have officially said, this is now part of our core updates. It wasn't a one-off kind of thing. This is now integrated into our ranking systems. And when we went through the ranking systems the other week, if you haven't listened to that podcast, I'll leave a link for that in the show notes. We went through it and the helpful content update was mentioned throughout that because it's becoming a core part of those ranking systems not just a one-off like, oh, we'll, we'll check all the helpful content now and then worry about it later. It is now kind of rolled into and become a bigger part of the overall algorithm and the core updates that happen as well, which I think is interesting because everyone was freaking out. <laughs> some people were very excited, some people were freaking out, and then kind of nothing happened. And we're like, oh, okay. And then we're realizing now stuff is picking up. The canary in the coal mine site you had, Mark, was eventually hit by one of the spam updates. Yes, sir. Eventually, we're seeing stuff pull through, and they kind of seem to sort of snowball as these system updates come through. Would you say that that's fair to say, Mark? Yeah, I think overhyped stuff is a great place <laughs> to start because that's what the SEO community does really well. Um, and yeah, helpful content update. Agree. I think that had to be built on, as we've talked about, some of the other changes Google have made to uh, enhance their ability to give better results, which have created new problems, you know, especially we've talked about it loads, the kind of spammy people also ask kind of generation type sites, mm -hmm. um, the QA type spammy sites we've seen. So they need to make new updates to patch the new holes that made when they were kind of building new things. Uh, earlier in the year, um, I think Web Vitals probably falls to me in that overhype category in that just everyone was talking about it and from a from a more pointy end of the in the trenches kind of view I see it I have seen it a lot in other people's audits as like a high priority yeah. type thing which I've never particularly agreed with in terms of you know my view on it has always been performance is important Primarily, though, for not SEO reasons, for you know, slow, um, poor performance websites suck, and yeah. people don't it's, like that. <laughs> it's user experience, right? Yeah. I mean, so much so because, again, kind of tying into the age-old thing that that grinds both of our gears. The whole bounce rate is a ranking <laughs> factor. <laughs> like, no, no, that's a user experience thing. <laughs> and yeah, I remember you talking about this. I think it was probably earlier when I joined Candor for eighteen months ago or so when we were talking about it. And talking to some of the non-SEO team here at Candor are kind of, oh, that seems like that would make sense as a ranking factor. And I was like, well, not everyone has analytics 
on their site, let alone Google Analytics. Some people don't have any analytics whatsoever. So how would you measure that for that site? And also the whole GDPR thing, if you just reject all of the cookies, then there's no tracking there either. Even if you have Google Analytics on your site, it's like, okay. And you can make it 0% or 100% at will. <laughs> really and it easy. depends on the context of the query and the yeah. question. Yeah. And it's basically massively useless. Yeah. But yes, I think <laughs> performance as an SEO thing has kind of been, was overhyped during the year. Yeah. But again, that probably happened when Google made the switch to I like, um, I being Google, like <laughs> HTTPS sites. Mm, um, yeah. You know, makes very little difference, as Google have told us, but it pushes everyone in the right way. I am certainly um, happy that more people are focusing now on performance before yeah. because it's an easy thing to motivate people to do. But yeah, help, helpful content um, update. I think Google probably didn't quite get what they wanted from that, which is why we saw the kind of part two come along. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so quickly, yeah. I think it's interesting because a lot of people, like you said, get fixated on one little part of it. And I've, I've totally been guilty of this in the past and will often talk through with, with other members of the team here at Canda when we're working on sites together. And, you know, it, I'm not necessarily the account lead on a client site, perhaps, but I will come in and have a quick look and be like, oh, you know, this, the, let's take Core Web Vitals as an example. Oh, the Core Web Vitals could be better. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's way easier said than done. And let's, as you said, Mark, like understand the priority list there from, and this is something we talked about a lot, something I talked about with Tom Critchlow before as well, like how to communicate that priority to the client because plenty of times I've had clients come to me and be like, oh, I checked page speed insights and we've got red things. And I'm like, yeah, but your main navigation doesn't work and let's prioritize <laughs> yeah, that, right. shall we? Like you know, none of your pages are indexed. Maybe let's fix that first. And people really kind of hone in a focus on one thing. And there are plenty of specialists out there that definitely know what they're talking about. But you're right, when the entire industry kind of turns its eye, like Sauron's eye at one thing, and it's like, <laughs> right, we all need to fix our core web vitals at the same time. It's like, yeah, but uh, plenty of sites have much bigger issues that will have a much bigger impact than just twiddling some things and, you know, unminifying your JS and CSS and stuff and fiddling a few things to make sure your page speed is... 0.1% faster or whatever. I think, yeah, a lot of that stuff does get overblown, but don't get us wrong. It's still important. If if your website takes 15 seconds to load in 2022, soon to be 2023, you're probably not going to be getting very happy users. But yeah, I think that that's an interesting topic that I think we'll probably see come back around again. It keeps coming back around again. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, we've got new metrics. We won't talk about it now, but I saw there's new metrics coming in to mm. Core Web Bytes as well. But let's talk about AI and GPT chat because oh. I think it is the both underhyped and <laughs> overhyped simultaneously. I think it is the conversation that's happened in 2022. And really, it only really feels like it's been the last couple of months. GPT chat really seems to have exploded it into like the the mainstream conscious. Now you see all these screenshots on Twitter and stuff from non-SEO people just playing around with this kind of stuff. Where previously, I know Mark, me and Luke were all kind of playing around with various different open AI stuff. I know you've been using GPT-2 and GPT-3 a lot as well, Mark, like doing different experiments and stuff like that. It's the big thing to talk about, right? It's such a big topic and yeah. Not to get, again, like we said a couple of weeks ago, not to get too philosophical, but I think AI is going to become more prevalent in our lives, even outside of digital marketing and SEO. 
it's going to be integrated into how we live our lives in the future anyway. But yeah, I think you're totally right. Having it as both underhyped and overhyped for, because it's it's full of a multitude of different uses, right? It can be used in so many different ways. And again, it's that kind of industry-wide focus on one thing to be like, oh, GPT chat, that's the big thing. Like, There's so many other possibilities with AI that are way more interesting and could be bigger and more integral in the future. Yeah, so I think from the overhyped point of view, I think we're heading to a bad place with it in the short term. I posted my little Gartner hype cycle of mm. inflated expectations, and I think we're definitely at this point. And I think that's because, you know, I'm, again, obviously I'm not, you know, a deep expert in machine learning and AI, but I understand roughly how GPT chat works and how it's trained. And you've, thus, you've literally done courses on machine learning. And yeah, stuff and thus it's yeah. limitations, right? And I think one thing GPT chat is very good at doing is kind of hiding its limitations by the way it <laughs> communicates, right? That's a really interesting way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So I've seen people being like asking GPT chat in an SEO context, stuff like um, identify the entities on this page and let me know like their salience and categorize them. I've seen them saying, you know, categorize this list of keywords by intent. Uh, I've seen them say, you know, here's a keyword. What other questions might people ask, right? Now, when I first saw this, I was like, oh, wow, you know, that's clever. And then when I start repeating those queries on the same data, kind of getting slightly different answers. Yeah. And then when I compare it to tools that we've actually had quite a while that do the same job, you realize that under scrutiny, it's not actually doing a great job of like, I say, entity identification is missing out some really important stuff. Yeah, there was an example people were throwing around of one you shared in our Slack that featured a bunch of football information. It was like, there was one of the matches at the World Cup. It was Argentina versus somebody. I don't know football. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> and it listed a bunch of the players and all this kind of stuff. And I'd only heard of two players. I think it was Lionel Messi and the other one was Mbappe. And there was a bunch of other, like, talking about the city and the stadium it was in and all this kind of stuff. It didn't pick up on Mbappe, who is a football player I have heard of, and I haven't watched football in probably 20 years at this point when I was forced to by my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that I have heard of that player tells me he must be a pretty important entity and, like, deserve, his, for want of a phrase, deserve his own entity, right? Nowhere to be seen on that GPT chat analysis. I thought, huh. Interesting. And you're totally right. When you repeat the same thing, you can get slightly different answers. And to compare it to like something that does use AI, talking of keyword insights and stuff like that, and that clustering tool, it's not perfect. And I know I've been through this process, like explaining to newer members of the team here at Canda, this is a really good way to get a rough idea of how these keywords could cluster on this site and how they could work and how we can build these content hubs and all this kind of stuff for, for this particular client. But take it with a grain of salt. You need to understand like some of the stuff will fall out of the clusters and you get a group of like no cluster data in there. It's much more consistently accurate. I've tested it with like the same site or the same group a couple of different times. You get the same answer because it's running a particular machine learning algorithm and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I think a lot of people worried like, oh, chat GPT is going to put stuff out of business, they're going to put Google out of business, GPT chat's going to put Keyword Insights out of business, going to put SEMrush and Hrefs and Systrix, ah, they're all done for, replace all of our SEO tools with AI. Like, ah, not quite yet. <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. No, my, my fear is that 
the output looks good, like I said earlier. And I just know there are going to be people that this is basically their SEO now. They're yes, just going to be like, absolutely. write the plan, do the entities, write yeah. an email to the client, and they're just going to be laughing all the way to the bank. I saw someone recommending how to make $200,000 in 2023 from AI. And it was basically like, go on to Upwork and accept all the writing gigs and just churn it out with GPT chat <laughs> and then take the money. <laughs> you know, because no, like very few people are actually going to do that kind of plagiarism check looking for machine generated content. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, that's not going to end up in a good place, is no. it? No. So I, I think people are going to essentially, there's going to be, unfortunately, a lot of companies buying for just ignorance like some very expensive good looking fluff that's probably not actually going to deliver what they want it to yeah definitely definitely um, but on the good side so let's talk about what yes. has been good 2022 and i think to start that list we should talk about gpt chat quickly <laughs> so i do think uh that you know the, the premium example slightly outside of seo is obviously danny richmond who's kind of we mentioned on the show before for he did some stuff earlier with GPT-3 on the spreadsheets, the like regex generation stuff. Um, which was pretty amazing. Which was way. pretty we amazing. We talked about that quite a lot. But I saw he actually got like national media coverage for his Zapier plugin for the chap that came. Uh, it's like a pool and hot tub install uh, installator guy, but he's got dis quite bad dyslexia, struggles writing oh, emails. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he essentially set up a Zapier automation where you can just kind of write almost like a SMS short got quote seek to you soon and it writes it like a professional sounding email for him which is a brilliant use and yeah. i think he's now in talks with uh open ai to make that a free tool yes basically. yeah that's so, what danny had said before and i think well done danny yeah absolutely bringing stuff like that to bring more accessibility and accessibility we talked about a lot recently in one of the recent blog posts from sitebulb i talked about it a lot with chloe smith back in the show as well like thinking about how we can use technology in slightly different ways to allow more people access to elements of jobs or technology they don't currently have. Like trying to get my parents to order something on Amazon is a 40 minute phone call. Whereas if I could tell them, oh, buy this thing on Amazon, just type buy new shower curtain on Amazon, needs to be blue less than 20 pounds. And then it can automate the thing and write an email or send an order or whatever it is that can yeah massively change people being able to access information being able to like you said work with things like dyslexia and things like that not being a people will judge you for that kind of stuff right you could be oh, for sure the best electrician in the world but if you write a terribly worded email like grammatically badly worded and all that kind of stuff people are like oh i'm not going to work with them no oh, they 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 can't even write an email they how could they possibly wire my kitchen or whatever like <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> but that's an unfair judgment and this is able to then like you said benefit them and and really transform some people's lives and allow them to kind of do it on a bit more of a level pegging right absolutely i mean there's i think there's a few contained tasks that gpt chat's been really cool for so i've seen people use it uh, to generate kind of digital pr ideas for mm. inspiration because sometimes that's the hardest thing when you're just you get kind of a writer's block it can really get you out of that um, it fixed, uh, fixed some of my Google Tag Manager code the other week. <laughs> yeah, I remember you saying Yeah, that. I was working a little bit late on Friday because I just wanted to change something on our site. And it was fiddly because it, I wanted to try experimenting, changing a certain thing, but I couldn't control it through the CMS. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just 
do it javascript size you know duct tape for now <laughs> um and yeah my code was wrong basically and rather than trying to figure it out i just put it into gpt chat and was like what's wrong with this and <laughs> it was just like this you idiot meatbag and it worked so and also we've i've been talking actually to our client services team about maybe using GPT chat to do things like come up with non-technical summaries of reports, mm. maybe where some um, concept we're trying to explain is particularly difficult. It can just provide a very quick, again, at least starting bones for how you might explain this. So yeah, there, I think there's already for it. AI generated outlines built into Google Docs, right? You click that little little blue thing that we've got on the, on the top, top left there and it will kind of summarize the doc for you. It's, it's not great. But it will give you a very, very high level and a rough idea of this is the podcast show notes for Search with Canda, season two, episode 50. Jack is talking about this. Mark is talking about this, blah, blah, blah. And kind of give you like run through of the headings. If you've structured your document well, it will do a pretty decent job of it most of the time. And yeah, I think that's a really interesting way of that's something I've been talking to clients a lot with really in terms of like reporting and stuff like that. Throwing an entire report at and a whole team of people client side who some are more technical than others some are less technical some of them are just interested in the money some of them want to know about specific rankings because they're a bit more like involved in seo and know a bit more and oh they've been tracking it themselves and all that kind of stuff being able to summarize that in a super short sort of like five highlights and like you said translate it essentially to completely universal language would be really really handy and really powerful there as well i think absolutely something i've been using a lot this year moving on from a bit of AI stuff, is to API stuff. And something I think the API I've most used this year is the Google Search Console inspection tool API. I was so pleasantly surprised but just how it just works basically every time I've ever tried it. And I've had a few clients that have had indexing issues and the dreaded discovered not yet currently, not currently indexed, currently not yet indexed, whatever the phrasing is for that, discovered, currently crawled but not indexed, all that kind of stuff. Being able to pull that out and when you're creating a lot of pages at a time on a very small site and understanding like what's getting indexed first, or maybe we should, as Mark and we were talking about a few weeks ago, add a few more links to that page to make sure it gets indexed more quickly and all that kind of stuff. To just get a, a quick overview of, quickly crawl it using Sitebulb or Screaming Frog or whatever tools you're using integrating that API in there has just saved me so much time. And I very, very much appreciate the fact that that is a thing now that is just now completely integrated into my workflow without me even thinking about it. Yeah, I think it's going to be even more important as I noticed Google was running some tests where with this site operator, they were removing how many pages were being displayed as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah, right. so obviously you shouldn't kind of use that as this is definitely how many pages are indexed, but it's a really it, quick ballparky kind yeah, of thing, there, right? Yeah. Um, so I suspect we'll see some more data loss there. But yeah, GSC inspection API is awesome, and like connecting it up with other tools like Screaming Frog has been yep. super helpful. It, and again, not sponsored at all, but the fact that it's integrated automatically into Wix. If you're using Wix as your CMS, you already have this built in. You just need to basically click connect to your search console. And it will run it automatically for you and tell you when your pages get indexed and stuff. It's pretty amazing. And then for what felt like information that you had to really go out of your way to get for so long, you have to literally copy paste into the inspection tool. That's the thing. Wait for it to load. Okay, <laughs> okay, thanks, Search Console. What are the issues? 
the fact that you can just leave it going, go to lunch, make a cup of tea, whatever you do, come back, and it will, provided your site is a reasonable size, have crawled it and tell you exactly what the issues are. Like I said, at my fingertips, and it's now just integrated into my workflow so easily. Uh, oh, all of my schedule crawls with Sightbulb, or if I need to run a new crawl on Screaming Frog or whatever it is, I just automatically tick the Tool Inspection API button just to double check, make sure everything's getting indexed properly. And it's, yeah, taken a lot of a lot of the weight off my shoulders of doing that manually and copying and pasting them each time. If I can toot toot my own horn. You may. I mean, it's your podcast, really, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you may. It seems longer, but it was, of course, this year that Also Asked was launched. Yay! Um, congratulations to you and the developer team. Yeah, and that's been really exciting. We have had way more customers um, than I had expected, which is really good. We've introduced new features like the deep search um, yeah, and yeah. bulk search. And I've like yesterday was having a conversation with a very, very large, um, trying to not say who it is, yeah. um, <laughs> a big website with lots of traffic <laughs> to be as vague as I can possibly be. Google.com. Yeah. But um, they, they were talking about... Um, how they can integrate like kind of our bulk data with various SEO projects they're doing. I've had loads of great feedback from people. So I've got a rather intimidating roadmap now of new <laughs> features and things people want and different from different file formats to some actually some really great ideas because I've been un trying to understand people's use cases for um, also asked. And yeah, the feedback on people being able to get that really specific live data um because the other thing i've noticed it seems anecdotally this year that google has like updated uh, or changed increased the frequency the cadence in which it's updating these paa results because mm. we see them change very regularly now um so yeah that's been really exciting There's lots of new stuff coming um in the new year so um first thing in january we're launching our proper kind of multi user interface oh, so cool. at the moment there's like just no limit on concurrent users but some places obviously don't just want a credential share because yep. it's not best practice so we've got a proper system for admins to kind of add people uh, we're adding in support for other file formats in january as well so xls and uh google sheets oh so cool you can nice straight to google sheets lovely and then there will be some exploration into a uh, supermetrics connector because I know a lot of people use Supermetrics um, to pull data through into reports automatically. So we're going to look at that. And then in the first quarter, all being well, we should see our API launch hey, as well. Um, more and APIs again, for everyone. Yeah, I've been speaking to a few different tool providers who approached us who are really interested in integrating that data in there. So that's been cool. Awesome. Yeah, also asked has been a, a really cool thing for me to get involved with as much as like testing new stuff and just, uh, for those of you who don't know, in the office, Mark literally works opposite me. So we'll often just lean over and be like, could you just check this thing on also asked for me? Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Load it up and just have a quick look. So it's been very cool for me. And to to be perfectly blunt here, I discovered Canda through also asked. I was using also asked before I came to Canda, had no idea who or what Canda was. I assumed some, you know, design company or whatever. And then I was speaking to my colleague in my previous role. I was like, yeah, they're based in Norwich. I was like, what do you mean? What? Based in Norwich? How, how's that possible? This, this, like, 
SEO tools are built by people in far distant lands. They're not possibly <laughs> built here in Norwich. Turns out I was wrong. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's partly how I uh, ended up here at Canada and how I first heard about the company was who also asked. And now being like seeing the other side of it and seeing how much it's developed, I think a big change for me was the, for the yeah, export format we've now got with the changes now instead of that kind of cascading across the, the CSV. You now have it all lined up, which is really nice and very nice to hear it's going to be integrating with Google Sheets because I'm a big advocate of Google Sheets. I use Sheets all the time. So being able to pull that straight into something like Google Sheets and then have that data ready to go, it was a bit fiddly, <laughs> as we discussed, Mark, a, a few months ago. But now with this new format, I think it's really nicely displayed. You get examples of the currently ranking thing for that query as well, which I think is really interesting. You get the URL, you get the title, all that kind of stuff. All that extra data is so interesting to me. And it, it's amazing to see the kind of growth that has happened over the last yeah, only 10 months. That's crazy. It feels like it's been around for so long because obviously you had the long. Well, we had like, phase, a, like a year and a half in beta <laughs> trying to get it to work, but we'll brush over that. There was one more thing actually that um, just popped into my head in terms of we should mention, which I think has been overhyped right at the end of the year, Yeah, which is the extra E oh, that's gosh. been added on eat you're not excited by double eat monk double that's the official that's the official pronunciation i haven't instead of people going e-e-e-a-t i'll be i'll be honest i haven't i've read what google have said about it yeah and what the experience e stands for i haven't read anyone else's analysis of this my seo gut feel spidey sense instinct whatever you want to call it um, is that I don't think anything's changed behind the scenes. Mm. I think this is just Google being like, okay, based on the updates and based on what we know we're looking for and how we judge this, experience you know, is a separate thing we need to communicate with people that we're looking for. But I don't think, it, like, I don't think it's potentially like an update. Yeah, I think the way people were talking about it, it felt like it, like you said, it felt like a very big thing, like, Oh God, now we've not to we've not been declaring our expertise. We need to now specifically include that information. But pretty much all of the examples, if you've if you were already displaying your authoritativeness and your trustworthiness and your expertise, to bring an experience into that, it feels like you you were kind of already integrating that. If you were doing it right, it feels like that's kind of already part of that similar family, right? For me, I think the most interesting thing for this is the way they've worded like the importance and the kind of way these things relate to each other the the four elements now that trust is the most important part of that and the fact that experience expertise and authoritativeness kind of build together to create trust essentially and there's a nice little uh, four-piece venn diagram from google there that kind of shows and demonstrates that in a way where it shows trust on the top and how authoritativeness, expertise, and experience all kind of tie in together. I think you're probably right, Mark, to be honest. I, I'm leaning towards your kind of, yeah, that's kind of how it was already. They just didn't explicitly state that. <laughs> and don't forget, trust is links. Trust, trust is links. <laughs> Not just links, but a big part, yeah. <laughs> I think, of trust is links. And it's interesting now that, yeah, that's the big center mm, yeah. of EE. Sorry, double, double EAT. Double EAT.
So I mentioned at the top of the show, we'll be talking about some trends of the year from Trendwatch over at Systrix, which actually launched just before we started recording this. So the December edition of Trendwatch is out now in your inboxes if you are listening to this episode and you are subscribed. If you're not, go to systrix.com slash trends, subscribe, and not only do you get the usual trend watch at the end of the year, a monthly thing in your inbox that will tell you a bunch of trends, you get 10 bonus trends this month because it's Christmas and the end of the new year, and Systrix are lovely people, so they're Aww. giving you bonus trends. And as usual, I'll pick out a couple this is written by the fantastic Nicole Scott, one of the data journalists over at Systrix, and we've picked out a few of the trends here that I definitely want to talk about. I'll start with maybe the weird one. I'm interested to see if if you've had a look at the show notes in any detail. Don't scroll down, Mark. I Do you not. know what Huger is? This H-Y-G-G-E, what this word means. I actually do. Ah, oh, damn it. Because my wife. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I also know it because of my wife. Um, so I, I embarrassingly couldn't tell you if it's like a, or it's like a Scandinavian yep. word. And I'm aware Scandinavian isn't a language, but for like cozy yes. or something. It's essentially, Is it Norwegian, yeah. Swedes, Norwegian, I, or I'm, I don't know. I don't, know where, I don't know where it actually comes from. Okay. It, is, it is Scandinavian, but what it actually means. Uh, it's Danish, apparently. Danish. There Danish. we go. Okay. So, yeah, and it's like cozy, right? Yes. Yeah. For one of better phrase. Yeah. Kind of that kind of, there's this weird kind of Danish chic where it's all kind of cozy. It's, it's having a cup of tea by the fire wrapped in a snuggly blanket with your cat sleeping on your chest. It, uh, yeah. It's that kind of vibe. I don't really know. It's a it's a fashion thing. It's a vibe thing. It's become quite big on social media. You'll see a lot of this on TikTok and Instagram and that kind of thing. It's all about keeping things simple and I think tying into a lot of people who are experiencing with like the cost of living crisis here in the UK, trying to, you know, wrap yourself in a blanket and make yourself feel comfortable even if you can't afford to put your heating on at certain times of the day and things like that. You know, making me think it's kind of like a a government propaganda thing Ooh. to be like, oh, energy crisis. Don't worry, just be cozy with your blanket. That's <laughs> just do how some humor, you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's is an interesting uh, trend because I think it's again it ties into a lot of different things we've been talking about with cost of living and and trying to live more eco friendly. There's an eco friendliness element to it as well that I think ties into it. But yeah, I, I, I'm always interested in what kind of trends are happening in terms of like fashion, vocabulary, the fact that we're getting this Danish word kind of coming into the English language and kind of infiltrating and under, and like now becoming a thing people are regularly talking about on social media. Whereas if you'd have asked me a year ago what Hugo was, I would have no idea whatsoever. So yeah, I think it's interesting seeing kind of Scandinavian influence once. We see so much of the American influence and sometimes even Japanese and South American influence coming through, but having a Scandinavian influence I think is really interesting. Next up, I want to talk about a board game because I bloody love board games. <laughs> and again, one of the reasons I wanted to work here at Kanda, during the interview with you, Mark, you had a copy of Settlers of Catan over your shoulder and I thought, that's my people right there. That, I could work in this place. 
<laughs> Maybe I just researched you and I was like, <laughs> we just printed out the box, stuck it behind me. He's, carefully a, he's a big old nerd. <laughs> we'll lure him in with nerdy things. Uh, and yeah, I want to talk about Carcassonne, which is one of the board games that really kind of kicked off this modern board game revolution that happened over the last sort of five years or so. Have you played it? Oh, loads of times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you have. <laughs> Who do you think you're talking to him? I thought it was a type of spaghetti. <laughs> well, cacazone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is, in fact, a French word based on the medieval French town, village, area of, of the same name from, again, a few hundred years ago, medieval times. And essentially, you're placing your little meeples, those little wooden uh, people representations, uh, building castles, claiming land and all kinds of things. You have farmers that then farm that land for you and gather your resources and all this kind of stuff. You're all playing on the same board and you're trying to complete a castle and see who can build the last bit of the wall to try and claim that area of the board by completing that castle area. And you get different points depending on what bits and pieces you're claiming on the board and eventually okay. you total it all up and yeah, you see who wins with the most points from their castles, their fields, their buildings. I think there's a monastery in there if I remember correctly. But yeah, it was a key, key part in this kind of recent, I say recent, like five or six years ago, like revolution, modern revolution of board games that happened with so many of the Euro board gaming stuff happening. Things like Catan and Carcassonne coming over to the UK and suddenly being picked up and being picked up in pop culture as well. And now we have so many massive board games happening that they will break records on Kickstarter all the time and all that kind of stuff. And it's now this really, really thriving community that I'm very much a big fan of. So yeah, it's fascinating to see that Carcassonne really spiked earlier this year as well, because I thought it was kind of, again, a bit out of trend. Like I had played it a few years ago in the early days of the modern board game revolution, but you sounded Not, like one of those people that say, oh, "Yeah, I saw that band." When they were, uh, <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I I saw them when, like it was like thirty, pe cool. 30 people in a pub <laughs> somewhere. But yeah, it's. I wasn't expecting it to be trending. I th I thought again, very much underestimated Carcassonne, perhaps that we had kind of moved on to bigger and crazier things because so many of the Kickstarter board games are just get as much plastic miniatures and big stuff and the biggest possible box you can think of, and it will cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Because Carcassonne is like this whole little contained box for $20 or $30. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. If you're looking to get into board games, it's a really cool way, kind of little introductory one for you. Along similar lines to Settlers of Catan, if you've ever played Catan. And yeah, highly recommend Carcassonne if you want to get involved in board games. And very cool to see a board game highlighted as one of the trends of the year in 2022. Last of all, the trend of 2022. Something I talked about, I think, on my own. <laughs> on the podcast perhaps is the air fryer where do you see yourself in five years sitting on my own on a podcast talking about air fryers i'm getting paid for it and that's what matters <laughs> i am um, i tried to buy one of those air fryers when there was that mistake on amazon oh yeah, i did it, as well it was like yeah. three quid did yeah. you get it uh i was able to complete the purchase but it was cancelled yes yeah yeah because uh, somebody in the office went, oh, my God, there's a two-pound air fryer on Amazon. So we're like, oh, my God. And we all scrambled in the candor office. And, yeah, they cancelled it, and it was all a big... It was a mistake, a typo, or a spam thing, or something like that. But air frying is now a big part of my life. And I hate to say that as a 32-year-old <laughs> man, as a recently married 32-year-old man who's hopefully trying to buy his first house, 
I have never sounded more adult in my entire life than air frying is a key part of my life right now. We probably use it like two, three, maybe even four times a week sometimes, depending on what we're doing. I did a really nice uh, katsu chicken with like panko breadcrumbs and stuff in there the other day. Came out really, really well. Uh, I am vegetarian. I do cook meat stuff for my wife. So that was real chicken I did use. But I have used plenty of vegan stuff in there as well. And to tie into all of this, I seemingly have a bit of a reputation for it. I've probably talked about it in the office. Because I got an air fryer cookbook as my secret Santa here at Canada this year. So I'm known as the air fryer guy, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, as as you said, Mark, there's been a lot of like deals going on and stuff like that. They were There was kind of a, a fairly big spike when a lot of the lockdowns were happening and people were getting into doing more baking and cooking. And you could make bread in this or you can make a omelette in an air fryer and do all this kinds of crazy stuff. They are now crazy popular and once again much like Carcassonne and board games I, I got there before it was cool I'm, I'm clearly a trendsetter <laughs> clearly an influencer and a trendsetter in the air fryer uh, niche but yeah it's crazy how popular they are at the moment and I don't know if they really kind of warrant it they're basically a mini oven <laughs> it doesn't really do much like mechanically it is a small oven that is it. There is no like special, oh my God, how does it fry stuff with air? There's no oils. Like, yes, it just oven cooks it. It's just an oven, <laughs> it's just an oven you're able to like shake about a bit and adjust. I'm sorry to break the bubble of air frying, but it is just a little, a little <laughs> oven, basically. <laughs> have you ever tried an air fryer, Mark? Have you, um, have you had I, one? I haven't, no. Um, I thought I would venture into them when I could get one for about three pounds. <laughs> And then when it turned out that was one of those heart-crushing, too-good-to-be-true moments, I gave up on my dream and returned to my standard oven cooking that I can't shake around. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, maybe you'll have to come over to my house and I'll air fry you something real good. Nice, air fry me Christmas dinner or something. <laughs> oh my God, you probably could do. I guess, again, it's a little oven, you could. You just, just stick a little turkey leg thing in there. I, I don't know, I'm vegetarian, I don't know what I'm talking about. Stick a little thing in there and, and air fry it for 40 minutes, an hour. How long, how long does Christmas dinner? I'll ask GPT chat later. <laughs> That's the answer. We ask GPT chat how long it takes to cook a Christmas dinner in an air fryer, and then we test it and see who gets food poisoning first. So <clears throat> I've, I read a book quite a few years ago. Uh, I think it's called The Dice Man. <clears throat> and it was basically about this chap that um, was getting stuck in habits in his life. So essentially he was make um you just have like one crazy option of something to do and then do it on a dice roll and then if oh, it was okay. that just just do it pretty dark book to be honest but um i think you could do a modern version of that with gpt chat like for instance be like what should we cook for christmas dinner then it lists it then ask for the instructions on how to cook it and just follow them just whatever just it see says what happens. just do it <laughs> yeah and uh and just see where it goes yeah nice well coming in the end of year special of Search with Canada 2023 will be Mark and I doing ASMR of eating an air fried <laughs> AI generated Christmas dinner. How about that? <laughs> Got that to look forward to in a year's time. But if you do want to learn about air fryers, Carcassonne or Huga and plenty more trends, go to systrix.com slash trends, subscribe to Trendwatch and you'll get that delivered to your inbox every single month. 
Shall we talk about some predictions for 2023? Yes. Some plans, some suspicions, some spicy takes yes. coming up for 2023. Why don't you kick us off, Mark? What is your big prediction for 2023? I am putting all of my prediction chips onto Spambrain. I think Spambrain is going to be much more impactful than people realize. Interesting. So for I know we haven't talked about it on the podcast, but it rolled out December or started rolling out December the 14th. As usual, we got the, it can take about two weeks or yep. so to roll Just out. Just in time for Christmas. And Google said they are going to target both sites that are buying links and um, sites that are used essentially to pass outgoing links. So paid for bloggers, PBNs, that kind of thing. Interestingly, in the wording, it said, the update will, quote, neutralize links it detects as being spam, and thus links won't be counted. So you'll get a decline in ranking. So, but I think it's interesting. They're not saying it's a penalty. And they've, uh, John Mueller actually chipped, chimed in and said specifically, it's not like a manual action. Yeah, it's not will, a penalty. You will not get a notification if this happens. Yeah, it's yeah. just that they're recognizing the links as bought, sold, and they are starting to ignore them. It's a global all language um, system. But what I think is particularly interesting, so this is obviously we had the spam update, is the spam brain is Google says the first time they're using AI-based spam detection, which I think is going to be very interesting because I've already seen the usual crew kind of be like, ha, 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 Google's rubbish at link detection. <laughs> I've been buying links for years because... As I tell clients, basically, like up until now and probably still in the future, you know, yes, paid links do work. They all work. They do yeah. have an impact. Yep. And they will work until they don't. Yep. And, you know, we've talked about this loads, so I'm not going to tread over. Building the longevity, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Long-term yeah. security, all that kind of thing. But I think that if you, if I had an experienced link builder type of person look at a bunch of web pages, they could probably quite quickly tell me which ones are the link farms and which ones are good links because there's all kinds of clues that you pick up from, from the site design to the wildly going from one topic to the next in the blog post. And then the, oh, look, isn't it interesting that on all these blog posts, they always use really rich anchor text. Mm -hmm. And that's all the kind of things, you know, it's pattern detection. Computers are better pattern detection than people yeah definitely i think you're totally right if you're experienced in link building or just in seo in general you you get a spidey sense for this right you get a i i know the feeling when i click on a website and i go mm, this doesn't feel right there was an example from steve from Citrix. he was talking about some impacts from this and some sites that have been affected by this recent launch and there was one in particular where it's like you just he, he described it as getting bad vibes from their backlink profile. So he dived into the data a little bit more and it was a crazy mixture of a, a huge amount of links across a huge amount of domains, all of which basically do nothing and are just like random .NET domains, essentially. And I think it was like 96% were follow links. And... I know it's something you touched on in a post for the Wix Learning Hub, Mark, in your how do nofollow links work. There's that element of getting rid of or trying to disavow those no links or whatever you're trying to do because oh, nofollow links are bad. Actually, there's an element of that being what an organic backlink profile looks like. 
because you're naturally, if you are creating good content and getting links and all this kind of stuff, as you should be, just create good links in the words of Google. Good content. Good content. Sorry. Yes. Just create good content in the words of Google. Well, the SEO like reared its head in you. Know? <laughs> just create good links. I meant content. I'm sorry, Google. <laughs> Please don't bait me, John Miller. But yes, as long as you're creating that content and you're getting links, you're going to naturally acquire no follow as well as quote unquote do follow, which doesn't exist. But getting rid of all of that stuff and suddenly seeing, oh, 96% of this backlink profile are follow links is instantly mm. suspicious. Just, just straight away, the fact that you've gathered, and it was like hundreds of thousands of links. It wasn't like a couple of hundred. It was, I think it was close enough to a quarter of a million. And that means that, nearly a quarter of a million. That feels unlikely. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And it was this site that was not really doing that much. And all of the sites that were referring to it were basically doing nothing and not doing anything in particular. So if we as humans can get a, a vibe and an inkling just by looking at a few different domains, you're totally right, Mark. Google has the power and the money and the machines to do that as well. And I think we massively underestimate pattern recognition because as humans, we are very good at pattern recognition. But do you know what's better at pattern recognition? Robots and machines. <laughs> they basically do that as their entire existence. So yeah, I think that you're totally right. It could have a pretty, pretty big impact. And if it shuts up a few of the very vocal, I just buy links and get away with it people on Twitter, I'm all for it because they irritate me. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you? Do you have any big spicy predictions for 2023? I think my spiciest take is some form of index now. And I'm, I'm, being vague here and trying to get away with it because hmm, some form of index now I'm ready to pounce will come to Google in 2023 or they will announce something they'll be testing something because it's been seemingly from the data and I think we touched on this a few weeks ago Bing has done really really well with index now and j maybe just because there's so fewer people <laughs> using Bing from what I understand and from the spokespeople from Microsoft, it's not been completely spammed to hell and ruined. I, again, talking of the people that buy links and, and do dodgy SEO stuff, I would be worried it would be just spammed and broken very quickly if it does come to something like Google, which is, as we said, serves like a 100,000 times more searches than Bing. But this stat in particular I thought was interesting from Bing 7% of all new URLs clicked on all new URLs clicked on URLs. That's a weird way of wording it. 7% of all new URLs clicked on in Bing search in the past month were sourced from IndexNow protocol. That's a quote from Fabrici Canel from Microsoft and talking to Search Engine Land. In fact, IndexNow has grown a lot. This is now back to uh, Search Engine Land with more than 16 million websites are using IndexNow. They're publishing over 1.2 billion URLs per day to the IndexNow API. I've had a little bit of a play around with Index now. I've been testing out on a couple of sites I, I have, but not much experience really. How do you feel about Index now, Mark? And, and how, how spicy is my take here? I, I'm, I'm saying with a lot of vagueness and, and hesitancy, obviously. I'm not just being like, right, it's coming. I'm going to see it's going to happen. But how, how, how spicy is my take here, do you think? I think, yeah, it's interesting. So Index now, I've always kind of told people, kind of should be called crawl now and absolutely yes because it, it's about 
getting the search engine to come and visit that page and check it out again, not necessarily index it. My feel for Google is that they've kind of got the crawling thing down mm. in that even on new fairly big sites like my the Canary in the Mind site, mm. 10,000 pages, pretty much fully indexed within a few weeks. Yeah. The issue everyone's having is whether Google wants to index it or not. Um, now, my initial thought was, nah, Google won't need that because they're all over this with crawling, right? But then actually, if you look at um, if you look at server logs, you'll probably find that the Bing bot is way more aggressive than Google. It's like turning up more and looking at more pages. Mm -hmm. So then I'm like, well, actually kind of the data maybe doesn't suggest that. So if Microsoft is saying there is some kind of benefit here in that, you know, that's a 7% is a huge amount of these URLs. Like um, we said, every time we say like 7%, you think, like, ah, what's 7%? That doesn't mean anything. That's 7%, and as we said here, publishing over 1.2 billion URLs per day using the API. That's what we're talking about with 7%. Billions of things per day for a small percentage of the total URLs that have been clicked on through Bing Search. So, yeah, like you said, even small percentages make massive changes and are huge numbers to be dealing with. So, yeah, I'm interested to see if this does make a difference. Because we've seen it a few times where Bing will test a new thing. And God bless Bing. <laughs> they, they'll do the thing because they have, for want of a better phrase, far less to worry about than Google. If Google does something and it breaks or it, it's bad, they get dragged through the mud by the media and by us in SEO and podcasters like us and things like that. Bing is kind of able to test and be a bit more experimental and do cool, weird stuff that maybe Google couldn't get away with because it would affect millions and millions, probably billions, if not trillions of dollars of like e-commerce sites and all that kind of stuff. Comparatively, Bing is so much smaller, despite it being the second biggest search engine. And it's this cool little playground, this little experimental thing that they're able to do. And I wonder if IndexNow is this kind of one of these examples where Google will kind of see the success of this and be like, yeah, we could probably do that in a similar kind of way. We'll we'll kind of nick that thing from Bing like we've done over the last <laughs> 10, 10 years or so. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll do something similar. Um, again, spicy take perhaps, but I'm, I'm interested to see, because like you said, I think we're seeing a lot of issues with indexation and the whole discovered, not currently indexed thing and, and people being kind of stuck in that purgatory of like, cool, you've got content, but... Is it worth me indexing? I don't really know. I'm not really convinced. But yeah, I think maybe this will be a push in the right direction for certain people and certain things at Google moving in this direction with some something like index now. I don't know what they'll call it because index now is a trademark term. But yeah, I'll be interested. To see now what index. <laughs> well, Crawl <it> now. <laughs> it wouldn't be a spicy take if it was obvious. Exactly. So I appreciate exactly. that. One thing we were talking about before recording that I think is going to happen in 2023 is more of this multimodal multimedia mm. and combined search using the Google app. I've done quite a few searches kind of naturally, not through novelty where I've taken a picture of something, use visual search, and now you can refine it with, with language, with search terms as well. And that's been really useful for me when specifically like 
when I've just seen a thing and I want to know what the thing is and <laughs> you know how much it it costs and um so I I definitely think you know because we we've talked about this as well in reference to like mum which I know you want to mention yeah definitely. which is this um you know Google bringing together the different formats and making them all indexable and joining up all that information I think that's definitely going to be a, a trend um in in 2023 alongside that i think we're going to see more centralization and curation <clears throat> because to use this i think effectively uh you need the google app yeah and uh the google app obviously has stuff um like the feed built in which is google discover um and actually i shared with jack just before this show you've already looked at it more than me the shop app which is kind oh, of yeah, like yeah. the shopify um centralized like amazon experience so i think those things are gonna kind of run together um which is we're getting these cooler features but you kind of need to get for better or worse probably worse in, <laughs> more into the kind of ecosystem yeah coming back around to ais and stuff right because understanding how Bert and mum work and how integral google is definitely saying they are really integral to our ranking systems and how this all works so much so that just a few weeks ago, I say a few weeks ago, probably like six months ago at this point, back in August, uh, I was talking about the how the featured snippets now integrate Mum with them and how Google is understanding featured snippets and basically making sure there is a kind of wider consensus around the information that is given by featured snippets. This was very much driven by a lot of the stuff that was happening with COVID-19 and a lot of misinformation, the whole fake news thing that happened with, you know, over the last five or six years or so. And I think we're going to see more of mum integrated into SERP features and things like that as well. As we see more of this stuff, when we're getting sort of like read times coming through onto the SERPs, we're getting uh, tabbed meta descriptions, all this kind of stuff. And uh, I, I know it's very, we talk about a lot, these new SERP features, and it's a very controversial topic because essentially is google is taking your content and quote unquote hosting it on their site and people might not then click through to you to get the full piece of information if they just get the answer on the serp but that's kind of google's thing right <laughs> they kind of want to keep people on the serp and to have this pa the power of their machine learning and from what we understand mum is incredibly powerful when it's being integrated into stuff like this and like you said mark being used for things like multi-search and things like that i think it's be going to become even more important in 2023 even and they have said it's very important already in 2022 so i think it can only grow from there right for sure the um the whole discourse about the you know gpt chat is gonna kill google oh, it, God. google's dead now um, didn't tiktok kill google like six months ago <laughs> yeah, right when I was speaking to Annie May, we we're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure TikTok's killed Google now. Yeah, of course. I actually saw some of the engineers talking about this and something I found really interesting was they were saying that, look, the kind of computational um, muscle needed to do GPT chat is 10 to 100 times kind of what, you know, we're getting on a Google search, yep. which is fine when you've got a million people playing around with your um tool and you're like they kind of cache a lot of responses it looks like to me on gpt yes. chat um when you're serving billions and billions of searches a day suddenly those numbers look very bad in terms of like <laughs> latency in terms of cost to actually run it um you know google's revenue model how 
do you do that and not break your stranglehold on the kind of paid uh, ads in search um and yeah i think we mentioned it before as well the the whole getting answers from a language a large language model versus a language model that's plugged into kind of an entity's knowledge graph that under you know quote unquote understands what <laughs> it's talking about we know they exist in google google uses llms um there was that um researcher working at google that there was it made the headlines because oh, yeah. we believed it was sentient so they've obviously got some really great tech we saw for they're, they're one of the biggest technology companies in yeah. the history of the world, they're going to be doing crazy, interesting stuff with AI. It just blows my mind that people think that Google have just sat there and then GPT chats come along and then Google's on. oh, oh, AI. I, Why I, didn't we think about I that? I guess we'll just fold this multi-trillion <laughs> yeah, dollar company like, then, yeah. So, yeah, it, it was four years ago we saw the, um, the Google demo of the booking, the haircut, um, although that was axed, that, yes. that project. Yeah. They've got Google and said, so, yeah. Um, because it became sentient and tried to take over the world. <laughs> but yeah, def- I, we're definitely going to be seeing more. I think that's the long-term kind yes. of play. Um, again, I, I can't see it disappearing overnight, though, because using the kind of prompt example of, okay, here's a question, give me an answer. There is a certain fail-safe of being given 10 possible answers, i.e. web search results. Yes, it's slightly more work to look at them, but otherwise you are, you know, relying on a system being pretty much 100% accurate. Which ties into misinformation and fake news and all that kind of stuff. And the, the, the old phrase in like, you know, programming, computing and stuff is crap in, crap out, right? If you give it bad information, you ask a stupid question, chances are with GPT chat, you might get a stupid answer. And the fact that yeah, like you said, getting a consensus and, and Google clearly, clearly wants to focus on this. We touched on this with the ranking system clarification they did a few weeks ago. They wanted to have information clarity and consensus and basically understanding the experts and what they say about this topic. So people can't just suddenly write rubbish about a disease and be like, oh yeah, this is definitely what causes this disease and get featured. And then that's the answer that everyone goes by. Actually having different opinions and not closing yourself, essentially turning it into like an echo chamber, right? Of, oh, the GPT chat told me I must have this disease, therefore I have this disease. Actually going out, checking multiple sources, speaking to doctors and stuff makes way more sense than, oh, I'll just take its word for it. Like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, tying, it kind of ties into WEAT and, and YMYL and all that kind of stuff. How much can you trust from like chat GPT and, and, how that ties into what Google are doing. And I think, yeah, people underestimate how long Google have been in this game for and how big they are and how powerful they are. And I feel like a lot of us know in SEO because we talk about them so much. But yeah, I think a lot of people kind of freaking out and saying, oh, it's going to take over Google. It has, it gave me the answer so much better, so much quicker. Was it better? Are you sure? Uh, Talking about the entity example we had and things like that. There's no guarantee there. And I think, yeah, it's become a big, big thing for Google. Like you said, long term, not just in 2023, but for the next however long before the singularity happens and the (laughs) the AI robots take over and all that kind of stuff. Mom and Bert and all this kind of machine learning and AI stuff is an an integral part of Google and it's here to stay. I think it's a really good note to end on. Definitely. 
for the, as the robot overlords take over at the end of 2022 and we head into 2023. <laughs> so yeah, I hope you've all had a lovely Christmas for those celebrating it and we will be back with you in the new year. We will. Thank you so much for your support throughout the year. It's been an amazing year of me joining the show and doing 50 episodes. It's been a, a roller coaster of different topics and different guests and all kinds of stuff and, and even recording some live streams and things like that. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your support over the last 50 episodes and stay tuned for lots more awesome content coming in 2023 from both Mark and me and the Canda team as well. Until then, have a lovely Christmas if you do celebrate. Have a lovely new year and we will see you in 2023.